0: How's that? There we go. Um, so we're, we're going to be in Matthew 18. Um, and as I've mentioned before, there's large sections of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, and Matthew 18 is one of those. There, there's five of them. Uh, this is one of those five. And we, uh, we run across two parables that at first glance, they may not seem to be related. But I think they are, because I I believe that that chapter 18 holds together um, very well. I don't think it's a collection of random thoughts. I think that uh, Jesus has a a focused message through all of this. And it all begins with this question that his disciples ask him when they say, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom? And... um, his his act here is is sort of a parable. We don't really think of it as a parable, but it's it's an illustration, it's a demonstration, it's an object lesson. He calls this little child and he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Um, there is a difference between childish and childlike. Oh, a lot of difference. And the, the teaching here that Jesus is giving them is not for them to be childish, but to be childlike where the child in, his, in, in that society, in that culture, uh, and they all would have understood this, is one who, who has no status. And in a day and age where we um, we sort of exalt and, and and make children special in many ways, and i don 't mean to sound all negative about that i mean it's it's much preferable to uh, abusing them and taking advantage of them, which is horrid but but at the same time, the child was the one dependent on parents uh, who had no status in society um, I mean even ancient societies had trouble when children were the um, the sovereigns or the monarchs. I mean, What do you do? You can't have this five-year-old kid giving everybody instructions, so you have to appoint people to oversee the government. But they've hooked up into this whole monarchy thing, so what are they going to do? Um, they would get it. They would understand that the greatness, and, and here is a, a look into the upside-down kingdom. That means that what Jesus has just said is, greatness in the kingdom is becoming humble and lowly that's that's not the way that we equate greatness and sometimes we try to dress that up and create a sophisticated um, powerful kind of humility jesus is saying no these little ones matter okay to which he has a comment followed by a parable speaking of these little ones he says in verse six if anyone causes them these little ones these and you can translate that however you want the the insignificant ones, the lowly ones, the uh, the ones who have no status, if anyone treats them who those who believe in me, or causes them to stumble, it'd be better for that person to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's kind of a parable uh, and of course uh I, I think actually that's that's not very metaphorical. That kind of gets to the point. It, it, you know, uh, they ought to you know put you in a pair of concrete galoshes and dump you in the ocean is what he's saying. Um, because woe to the things that cause people to st- the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through who they come. Okay, let's skip forward in verse ten. He says. <clears throat> See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now remember, what has started this conversation? A question. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How do you get recognized? How do you achieve status? Uh, you know, what are the ranks? What, what, you know, They got this show on, on I, just, I know I'm on a tangent, forgive me. Uh, this show called The Crown on Netflix. Have y'all ever seen that? And I always, I, I always struggle through that show. I like the show actually, but um, because you have to figure out everybody's rank, and they have this thing in in, in uh, British society, peerage, and all this. So you got So does a does an earl outrank a, a baron, or does a duke outrank a, a v count? You know, and and, a, and you got to figure all that out. And I just marvel at the people who have to sit around and figure out who takes precedent, you know, because there's all this formality that this person has to get introduced before this person, and these people have to, and they have to change all the styles and everything so that the queen's husband doesn't get announced behind anybody else, but he's first right after her, but really he's a duke, and then he becomes a prince, oh, you know, and and it's all of this, this idea of status and privilege, and yet We carry some of that into our society at times. It's maybe less formal, less official. But Jesus is is ripping apart all of the pretensions, and he's just saying, look, even in the kingdom of heaven, the humblest one who has no status, no peerage, no rank, no title, that little one has an angel in heaven that God pays attention to. Now, that's not just the little ones. That's you and I, too we matter to the father is what he's saying okay parable time he says what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off and if he finds it truly i tell you he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off in the same way your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish you can look at that from the standpoint of acceptable losses. The shepherd could have said, you know, I had 100. I'm down to 99 now, but, eh, you know, that's still, that's, that's 99%. That's, a, that's still a passing grade, no. Because each animal matters, and each animal has a worth and a value. And you don't want to just lose it. So he's saying that in the kingdom of heaven, you, and, and by the way, sheep don't outrank each other. Yeah, you, know, you don't have a lost sheep, and it's like you know that sheep is lost. And, well, yeah, I know, but that's Marvin. He's always doing that. Let's just leave him out there. Besides, he doesn't have any status or title, so who cares? No, they're all just sheep. They're all the same. They're all fuzzy little stinky creatures. And the thing is, though, each one of them has value to the shepherd, and he doesn't want to lose any of that value. His message is that if that's true for shepherds, then how much more, which is one of the ways parables function, I mean, if you can understand this earthly example, think about the heavenly example. How much more does every single little one in the kingdom of heaven matter to God? And then he makes the statement that tells us, and remember, what started this? A question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And by the way, if you're looking for an answer, it says, well, the greatest is the most humble. No. Really, Jesus is telling these parables to say, you're asking the wrong question. If you're in the kingdom, you don't ask who is the greatest. We're all loved by the Father. He's the greatest, and we're all the loved. And he makes this statement when he says, uh, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. There are no acceptable losses for God. He doesn't tolerate loss. They all matter to him. They're all important. So from the, you might call it the vertical perspective, from us and heaven, Jesus has just made the statement, he's given the parable, that from the heavenly perspective, we are all great to the Father. We are all beloved. You do not do something to earn more favor in front of God than any of your brothers or sisters. But on the horizontal perspective, we still play games with importance and status and who matters and who doesn't, who we can get rid of, who we can keep. You know, it's like that show Survivor, which I can't stand. You know, if you like it, great. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, you know, but they're all, who are we going to vote off the island, you know, and this week? And I'm just like, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a show where everybody worked together to help each other? Oh, no, that's boring. Let's have a show where everybody cuts each other's throat and tries to survive. Yeah, that's great. Love it. And, uh, you know, too much of that already. So here he talks about, he, 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 he's, and again, what started all this? A question Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So in 15 through 20. Suddenly he breaks into this uh, idea of if your brother or sister sins, go point out your fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they'll not listen, take one or two others along. Hey, wait a second. We recognize that. That's, um, that's church policy for how you uh, kick someone out of the church. I mean, we know, we know, we're re- we f- I'm being sarcastic. We're familiar with this. Why all of a sudden would he put that message which is just that boring stuff about, okay, do I have to go and settle with my brother? And we torture this text trying to determine how far we have to go to reconcile with someone. Well, you know, I've already talked to them about it. I think, I think uh, you know, it's already clear what they're going to say. I mean, they didn't say whether or not they wanted to reconcile with me, but I really think at this point we ought to just fellowship them. Okay, let's do that. And, and, and why would you have that right after this wonderful parable about lost sheep? Why it makes you think that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing and he's getting his, his sermon all mixed up. Mm. But we know that's not the case. I think it matters a lot that it's right there. Because think about what he, he's saying here. If God will go to any lengths to get that lost sheep back, then what lengths will we go to to reconcile with one another? Am are you so valuable to God that he'll do anything to draw you close to him? But to me, eh, I can take it or leave it. So (laughs) it's a good thing God loves you because I'm not sure I do. I mean, that's the way we act. And we act like that's acceptable. We're all needing to be transformed by the love of God. And when we realize how much he loves us, then that love goes outward. And and we should be doing everything we can. That doesn't mean that we cater to people or get into dysfunctional relationships it means that we're striving to overcome sin and we're striving to establish um that unity and that love notice where he concludes with all of this is he says um you know you know again it can go to that point where you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector but the the goal is if they listen to you you've won them over you've rescued the lost sheep you've gotten the sheep back They matter because they matter to God. In other words, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven as you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and we don't want to lose anyone. And then he makes this wonderful statement. I tell you truly that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is very similar to what John speaks of in 1 John 4. That if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you, you don't really understand love. He says it's inconsistent to say, "Well, I love God, but I hate my brothers over there, or I won't have anything to do with them, or I won't I won't fellowship, I won't I won't I won't be around them, and you know, all of that." He says, "Wait a second. If if love is operative here, then that love is going to go to great lengths to overcome sin and to overcome disunity." Not to say it won't be hard work. Jesus is saying it's hard work. You may have to go talk to that person. You may have to work it out. You may have to bring other trusted leaders in. You may need to explain some things. You might even treat them like a pagan and a tax collector, but not do that out of hate. But like Paul was talking about in Corinth, do that so that they will come to their senses and come back. But Jesus says that if two or three of you agree on something, I'm right there with you. Um, then, so so Peter gets it. He now there's a follow up question to the greatest question. The follow up question is, Lord, how many times then do I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And this is the question we all want to ask when we talk about forgiveness. It's the question I want to ask, and I, I don't. I'm not putting it down. It's the question that I, that I ask all the time. It's like, yes, yes, you're supposed to forgive everyone, but. My, my version of this question goes, God, I get it. I want to forgive everybody, but, but do I have to be a chump? <laughs> do, I be, do, I, do, do I have to be taken advantage of? You know? I mean, how, how far do you go? How far do you go to establish things? I mean, because there's a point at which I can be taken advantage of, and I'm okay with that, and I'm mature enough, and I'm big enough, but there's a point where taking advantage of someone or letting them take advantage of me or others is, is just irresponsible. once again i think peter and me are asking the question we want to ask but it's the wrong question let me show you parable time Uh, jesus says okay the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold what's the value of that you know what does that translate to translate it to anything you want and if the point gets across just make it a big number he owes the man a google he owes the man a bazillion dollars whatever it is it's huge it's it's a monstrous number it's an outrageous number he owes him all this money he owes this money to the king this man was brought to him and since he wasn't able to pay the master said that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold you understand this isn't just property their flesh, their person, their very being is going to be sold off. They're going to be sold into slavery to repay the debt, and it won't even begin to repay it. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. That's a good king. That's great. He's doing the right thing. That's the king we want. A guy whose heart is touched because the guy wants to. He says, I know I can't do it. But if you'll just be patient with me, he's like, I'm forgiving your debt today. Grace. That's grace. That's that's mercy, is what that is. Undeserved. But the king gives it to him. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Okay. And then when the servant goes out, he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Translate that however you want. Twenty bucks. $2, whatever it is. It's a reasonable amount. It's not that much. It's, you know, it's something, but it's not everything. This servant grabs him, begins to choke him. He says, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. The exact same words that he said to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, while the other servants saw what had happened, they're outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Why? Because they're a bunch of tattletales? Are they, are they, no. This is an issue of justice. It's not right. They know what's going on. This, this seems to spit in the face of the king's justice, of the king's mercy for that to happen. So they're upset. The master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I've canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? There's the word on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, let's say a little something about parables here. Does this mean that the kingdom of heaven is like an angry king who's going to throw us in prison when we fail to forgive someone? Mm, I wouldn't go that far with it. Again, there's there's going to be points where the parable's not going to explain everything one for one. I think more to the point, more to the point that's being made is in light of that mercy that that king shows, what should be the response of the servant that experienced all that mercy? I mean, as you're hearing the parable, isn't that where we really start to focus? Not on the ending. I mean, the ending is what we expect. The ending is where, yeah, okay, that's the way that those characters in that story end it. But the point, remember, why does this parable come about? Because there's a question. And the question is, many times do we forgive someone jesus's answer through this parable is i don't know how much mercy did you receive answer your own question i want to show you something that is in matthew that we don't always notice if you go back to matthew chapter 9 verse 13 uh Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, the, the, the fellow whose name is attached to this gospel. He calls Matthew the tax collector and he says, follow me. And so Matthew got up and followed him. Now we just heard in the last in that parable that tax collectors are they're not thought of very fondly. But Jesus invites that tax collector to come in and follow him. And so the tax collector shows him hospitality. Jesus is having dinner with him, and all these tax collectors and sinners they came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, before we make them into the, the, you know, the the villains with handlebar mustaches who are being all snobby and snooty, which is kind of a cartoon, their question may actually be one of concern. It's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, you shouldn't be around those types. Don't you understand that if you cavort with that kind of sinfulness, that that kind of sinfulness can have—I mean, that can have repercussions. We need to be careful here. We need to be careful what people think. I mean, the neighbors are going to talk. The uh, the community of the faithful is going to talk. People are going to get the wrong idea. We're not going to represent the high ideas of God in Israel. You keep doing this. Jesus then says, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick." Verse thirteen is what I want you to focus on. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 9.13 has the same sentence structure as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, uh, you know, go ye into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to uh, observe everything that I've taught you. And that's the way it sounds in King James. James. The way it works is, it says, As you go out, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. This sentence functions the same way. As you go off, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because the Pharisees were living in a kingdom where they thought the king wanted sacrifice, where what the king desired was to get his sacrifice, his offerings, all of the rituals, all the things that you have to show this God to show him the proper respect. And if we do that, then he takes care of us and we have a special relationship with the king of the kingdom, with the God of our nation. And man, that's an easy kind of a religion it can be hard i know but in the end of the day it's easy because all it demands is we do our part he'll do his part and it's just like our sermon that we preached this morning out of uh well you didn't preach it i preached it but we all that we shared this morning was out of luke where zachariah had this he knew what he had to do You go to the temple in the morning, you go to the temple in the afternoon, you burn the incense on the altar, God is taken care of, the rituals are kept, that's good. We keep this thing going. Generations have kept this thing going. This is what God asked for, this is what we're going to give him, until suddenly God decides to send an angel and disrupt everything. But God's not interested in the sacrifice, ultimately. The sacrifice is there for us. These disciplines, these rituals, these commitments, they're there for us. God is not sustained by these things. He doesn't literally eat the flesh of animals that are given to him. he doesn't need the money that we put in the plate God's not in the poorhouse he's not in the you know he's, he's, not, he's not at the home he, he doesn't need a little bit of love to keep him going through the week or he doesn't have enough energy That's all for us. what God wants is mercy and if you think about it, going back to his parable, God does not what God wants God does not want to lose anyone and so what he wants is he wants his people to be so tight-knit that if one of the hundred sheep drops off the map we notice it and we work to keep them and if forgiveness is needed then we need to start asking well you know we need to show mercy to others like he taught the pharisees yeah but when do you stop showing mercy well when you ask the question how much mercy have you been shown And the truth of the matter is, I don't have a lot of answers for you tonight. I've just got better questions because that's what the text and the parable does. It helps us ask better questions. Um, So the next time you're having that dilemma, just ask yourself how much mercy you've been shown. Sure, there's limits. I mean there's limits to tolerating behavior. That's covered in Scripture. I get it. But don't worry about that. Worry about showing mercy. Focus on showing mercy. And when we all show mercy to one another and this kingdom keeps, keeps growing and we grow within the kingdom, we're going to help each other out with all of that because you're not left alone in the kingdom. And, and I think we start to develop that heart of the king, of the, of, of the father, that shows that love. Let me show you something that's very interesting, too. Look at verse, go back to chapter 18. Look at verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God is called your Father. When you go down to verse 33 in the parable, the king says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And then in verse 35 he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word to the ungrateful servant, the unmerciful servant, I don't know if there's anything here, but maybe there is he's not he doesn't say this is how your father will treat you He says this is how my father what's the difference well the difference is the person who's not practicing that kind of mercy that's been shown to him or her they don't have the same relationship with the father as the one who won't tolerate that sheep being lost and it's very similar to what John wrote in first john where he says anyone who says that he has the father but he hates his brother he's a liar maybe there is something to the way jesus describes it there well jesus has invited us into this amazing kingdom and 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 remember that he said in the sermon on the mount he said blessed are the peacemakers Uh, that this kingdom way challenges us it causes us to grow and to be more like god But the good news is that in this kingdom, we find out that greatness is not based on our status or our intelligence or our wealth or our ability. We are all great in the kingdom because of how much God loves us. And that's good news. Uh, Tonight, if you need to partake of communion, that's been prepared in uh, room 100 right back here. We're going to sing this song, and then Dr. Cole is going to dismiss us in prayer, and, um, and then we can go out and practice mercy. Let's stand and sing.